Welcome to Art for All, sponsored by Sketchbook School. As a thank you for joining us, I'd like to give you a free ebook and our monthly newsletter full of tips, recommendations, and other cool stuff. Just head over to sketchbookschool.com to claim your freebies and to learn more about our classes and workshops and our membership program. We believe that art is for everyone, and I hope our podcast inspires you to create and explore your own artistic journey. Thanks for listening. On with the show. Welcome to Art for All, the Sketchbook School podcast. I'm your host, Danny Gregory. Each week I bring you stories and ideas and interviews and inspiration to keep you company while you work on your own creative project, whether you are drawing your pet Mexican hairless lying on the sofa or carving um, a, a, a giant depiction of a porcupine out of uh, alabaster or sewing your own uh, swimsuit to match your five-year-old's. No, that's weird. Um, or designing a better way to get ketchup out of a bottle. Or making a really delicious ice-cold dirty martini with extra olives. Whatever it is you're doing, I hope that this episode inspires you. That's our mission at Sketchbook School, to help encourage art for all, including you, of course. So I just saw the preview for a new movie. It's a remake of a remake of a remake of A Star is Born. And there were a couple of notable things about this preview. One was that it starred Bradley Cooper and that he was also directing for the first time. That's not terribly unusual. I mean, Bradley Cooper is in movies. But the fact is he doesn't usually direct, has never directed before. And movie stars often aspire to become directors for some reason. But what was more surprising was the fact that Bradley Cooper was also playing the guitar and singing on a stage in this movie. I mean, and it was really his voice, apparently. I mean, his last movie was The Avengers Infinity War, in which he played a genetically engineered raccoon-based bounty hunter or something, and he never sang a note. Um, but here he is now up on stage with, with, with Lady Gaga, right? That's his co-star. And she's somebody who I think of as, well, as a pop star, not really an actress, although I remember she was an actress in, she was an extra, actually, in an episode of The Sopranos that was called The Telltale Muzzadelle. But anyway, it was a situation where we have this one person who's an actor, who's now being a director and being a guitar player and a singer, and another person who's a singer and maybe a guitar player and who's now being an actor. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? I'll fall in all the good times I find myself longing. Now, I'm going to assume that Bradley Cooper was probably in lots of musicals in high school in Philadelphia and that he had some kind of training and singing and dancing and juggling and whatnot at the actor studio drama school or something. But the point is that we tend to think of Bradley Cooper as 
as an actor, as a leading man. And there's inevitably a little bit of resistance when he or Emma Stone or Kevin Bacon or William Shatner suddenly come on stage and they start to sing. I bring this up just to point out that we have a lot of labels that we apply to creative people, and we feel most comfortable when those people stay in the boxes that we expect them to be in. In the July 1965, at the Newport Music Festival, Bob Dylan went from being a folk artist who played an acoustic guitar to being this rocker who played an electric guitar for the first time in public. And a lot of people went ballistic and they shouted Judas and well, they just hated the idea that somehow Dylan was not being a purist, not being like another Woody Guthrie. Suddenly he was up there, you know, with long sustained chords and stuff. Of course, Bob Dylan continued and continues to this day to confound all those people who want to compartmentalize. I mean, he went on to, to publish books of, of, of poetry and, and a wonderful memoir, which if you haven't read, I really recommend it. Whether you like Dylan or not, it's an amazing book about a creative person. But uh, he wrote a movie and then he kind of acted in another, sort of. Um, he's had quite a number of exhibitions at major galleries like Gagosian, and he published seven books of his watercolors and drawings. Did you know that? I mean, he even had a show of these wrought iron gates that he had made himself. And his polymorphism continued to the point that recently he was given the Nobel Prize for Literature. You probably heard about that, but it, it just outraged uh, a, a lot of people because, again, he wasn't being, well, he wasn't quote-unquote a writer, and uh, one of them, uh, another writer whose work is pretty good, but who's never going to get a Nobel Prize himself, said uh, that uh, Dylan's Nobel was, quote, an ill-conceived nostalgia award wrenched from the rancid prostates of senile gibbering hippies. I'm not sure how many of those there are in Sweden, but and I'm not sure if they're responsible for this, but of course, Bob Dylan is a writer, and he's also a singer, and an artist, and an actor, and anything else that he chooses to be. Our country dance was being held in a garden I felt a bump and heard it, oh, beg your pardon Suddenly I saw polka dots and boobies All around a park nose dream The music started and was I the perplexed one I held my breath and said, may I have the next one In my frightened arms, polka dots and movies Sparkled on a pug nose dream It does seem more okay for non-creative types to go the other direction. I mean, people who we think of as doing real jobs or professionals like you can become a novelist if you're a lawyer like uh, John Grisham or a doctor like Michael Crichton. Then, sure, go ahead. Write a book. Write a novel. Make a bunch of money. A couple of my favorite novels in the last few years, The Rules of Civility and A Gentleman in Moscow, they were both written by a stockbroker. I mean, but and you, those are books you should read if you haven't. Anyway, so 
somehow we just have a bit more of a problem when, when creative people go the other way, I think. That's, that's something that we need to ask ourselves about when creative people become, I don't know, maybe successful business people. David Bowie is obviously known as a pop star. But I recently went to this amazing exhibition uh, at the Brooklyn Museum here, which has traveled around the world, but it just ended, I think, literally two days after I saw it, and it's done now. It's been on tour for five years, so if you missed it, too bad. But um, anyway, it, it chronicled Bowie's entire creative life and included references to, of course, all the different musical styles that he went through and the different looks and different personas, but also his acting career. But then also, in one of the rooms, there was a bunch of paintings that he had made. And I have to say, these were startlingly good paintings. I mean, I thought I'd find something that was like, you know, you'd see in a thrift store, but these were really good paintings. And I had no idea that David Bowie, who seemed to be so good at so many things, was also capable of this. Anthony Bourdain, he just passed away. And he was a chef and a cook, not even a particularly distinguished cook, but then he became a memoirist and a writer. And he was a really good writer. And then he became a, a TV personality and an interviewer and a travel, travel sort of chronicler. Again, transcending one category to another. I think he oozed his way from, from situation to situation and, and made himself into what he wanted to be. Tom Ford, he was a fashion designer, the head of Gucci. And I remember when he suddenly came out with this film that he had directed. And I'll be honest, I was kind of apprehensive about seeing a film. I mean, what, is this guy directing movies now? I find myself also struggling with this sort of giant leap, but of course that was ridiculous. The movie was great, as are his clothes, if I could ever afford them or fit into them. But probably the greatest archetype of all this in our time is Oprah. Oprah Winfrey began as the winner of the Miss Black Tennessee beauty pageant, and then she became a news broadcaster and then a talk show host. And then she was nominated for an Oscar as an actress in The Color Purple. That was a surprise to a lot of people. And then she wrote a lot of books and she started a magazine and then a TV network. And she's repeatedly been described as one of the most influential people of our time. Some people even wanted her to run for president a couple months ago. You may remember that. But she's gone on and on to transcend categories and to become lots of different things despite the resistance that we might have to people breaking these categories. The fact is that when it comes to creative people, what we should be focusing on isn't the form that they're presenting their work in. It doesn't matter whether it's a painting or a dress or a cake or a novel, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a TV actor who's suddenly in a movie or whether you're a movie star who's suddenly in a play. Does it matter what channel you're expressing yourself in? No. What matters is the message. What matters is the essence of what you have to say, the part of your soul that you're revealing, the observations that you have about the human condition. The things that you have to say matter more than the form in which you say them. And it's quite possible that you might decide that certain aspects of your message live best 
on the written page, but then you also want to explore what it's like to sing them or what it's like to build a business around them or what it's like to express them in any form that you choose. You know, the marketplace might be uncomfortable. You know, the, the, they might not know what shelf to put you on, but that shouldn't matter to you as an artist. This limitation that labels impose on our feelings about other creative people, they're even more limiting when we apply them to ourselves. And we say, well, I'm not an artist, but I drew this. And when we put this limitation on ourselves that says, I'm not legitimately allowed to express myself in this or that form. Well, it's a caveat that we apply to ourselves that says, I'm not really a singer, but I'd like to sing the song for you. I'm not really a writer, but I wrote this poem. The labels don't matter. It doesn't matter if anybody else calls you these things. If you wrote a poem, I guess you're a poet, or maybe you're not a poet. I don't really care. What I'm interested in is experiencing your art, experiencing your creativity, hearing what you have to say, experiencing the emotions that you elicit in me, the truth that you show me. That's what counts, not the label that you think you're supposed to apply to yourself or that the magazines apply to you or the whatever. And then, of course, Barack Obama, a lawyer, a professor, a community organizer, but then he won a Pulitzer Prize for that beautiful memoir. And then, of course, he went on to become a bunch of other things. I know. Let's, let's listen to him sing. I'm so in love with you. Don't worry, Merv, I, I cannot sing like you, but I, didn't, I just wanted to show my appreciation. My favorite creative people have lots of passions. I love authors who draw, chefs who write, musicians like Frank Sinatra or Snoop Dogg or Justin Timberlake or Dolly Parton who also act. Actors like James Franco who direct and write and paint and produce and on and on. David Hockney designs opera productions, makes films, reinvents photography, repurposes fax machines, writes books. Oh, and paints and draws, too. Leo da Vinci, he's sort of the holder of the title, of course, the, the quintessential Renaissance man, literally, inventor of the term, or original holder of it, at least. He drew, he painted, he sculpted, he made murals, of course, but he was so curious about so many things that he was forever going down new paths of exploration. His sketchbooks are an encyclopedia of ideas. They contain compositions for paintings and studies of details and drapery, studies of faces and emotions of, of animals, old people, babies, plant studies, rock formations, whirlpools. He was diagramming the movement of waves and rivers, dissecting cadavers to understand anatomy. He made glass models of the circulatory system. He was even the first person to identify cirrhosis of the liver. But because various rich and powerful people like the King of France saw his problem-solving potential, he was given all sorts of odd assignments. He designed sets for pageants. He developed military technology. He invented flying machines and even a mechanical knight and a steam cannon. 
He made musical instruments. He drew up architectural plans, and he engineered new types of bridges. Creative people don't have to fit into uncreative pigeonholes. We can make anything if we have the courage and the time to figure it out. Is success in one field a guarantee of success in another? Well, it might give you access to opportunities, but if you're no good, it doesn't matter how famous you are at doing something else. When Michael Jordan tried to become a baseball player, it didn't really matter that he was Michael Jordan if his batting average wasn't that great. Was Elvis an amazing actor? Well, let's just say he was pretty good. Would I buy an album by Bradley Cooper? Well, maybe not so much. Does it matter? Not at all. It's worth a try. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every byway. Oh, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Whenever I start doing something new, I'm super excited about it. Now, I'm a writer. That's how I've earned a living most of my life. But I started drawing when I was in my late 30s, and soon I became a hopeless pen addict. My DSLR camera got me hooked on making videos, and Final Cut Pro X got me deep into editing. Last summer, I learned the basics of letterpress printing. This summer, I taught myself how to build electronic circuits with digital sensors and how to program them. Cooking, playing the guitar and the harmonica, yoga, anything. I'm super excited about it. It's new, it's interesting, it's limitless. Everybody loves that I'm doing, and I'm fine with having those skills because, hey, I just started from day one, I'm full of visions of what my life will be like when I'm really good at whatever it is. However, a few weeks into it, the hate begins to dial up. I feel like a fraud and a failure. I know the basics, I get it, but I can't do it well enough. I'm not progressing as fast as I was. The, the novelty is worn off. I'm telling myself that I'll just never get any better. And it's hard, so I'm ready to give up. I'll never be a pianist, I'll never be a pastry chef, or launch a tech startup, or win Wimbledon, or or an Oscar, or be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Sometimes I do give up, which is sad, and, and I usually regret it later on. I still wish that I could play the piano. But then, if I persevere, a few months in, I actually do start to get better, and then I love doing it. It's everything I'd hoped for and more. Not just because I improve, but because I feel strong and accomplished for having improved. I ask myself, well, what can I learn next? I'm empowered. Enthusiasm eventually meets resistance, and only with perseverance do you achieve skill and then enduring passion. But don't mistake this middle period for the end. You will pass through it, but only if you work hard and endure. Even after the fumes of novelty have burnt off, you still got a beaver on. Sorry, it takes a bit of work, but it'll be worth it. It's all good. Just remember, passion doesn't depend on what you do, just on how you do it. 
I was a kid about half past three. My mom said, daughter, come here to me. Says things may come and things may go. But this is one thing you ought to know. Oh, take what you do with the way that you do it. Take what you do with the way that you do it. Take what you do with the way that you do it. That's what gets results. If you'd like to try your hand at something new, I will, of course, recommend a course at Sketchbook School. We have a few dozen of them to help you to start drawing or painting or making maps or drawing food or designing greeting cards. You can sign up at sketchbook.school and start one anytime you choose in between all the other things you're doing, whether it's starring in a movie or weaving a kilt or playing Mr. Tambourine Man on the ukulele. In his book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell cites a study by Anders Ericsson, who's a Swedish psychologist, and he claims that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to achieve mastery of a special skill or knowledge in any field. That's 40 hours a week for five years, roughly. But that's mastery. Personally, I'm perfectly happy with solid competence. Six-week, four-week, or even a one-week course at Sketchbook School teaches me loads of new things, stretches me in new directions, and gives me a taste of where I could take things if I continue down the road. I don't need to devote decades. I can just have some fun and try something new. Well, I hope you enjoy this little peregrination and you found it thought-provoking. If you did, or, well, or if you didn't, please subscribe and give us some feedback. We try to make lots of different sorts of episodes for you on this podcast and to cover lots of different topics that we think you'll find useful. And we'd love to hear from you so we can make art for all even better. You can email me at danny at sketchbookschool.com or you can come up and chat with me at SketchCon in Pasadena. That's just in a few weeks' time. Until next time, I'm Danny Gregory, and this is Art for All. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And remember, visit sketchbookschool.com and claim your free ebook and your monthly newsletter. Our community is always growing, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Art for All. <laughs>